Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and I am so excited to have you here and share this amazing interview with you today. I'm chatting with Emily Burton. Now, if you read the title of this episode, you know that Emily does event planning and styling for New York Fashion Week. But Emily started off so small and so tiny, and she shares all of that part of her journey super transparently. In this episode, she talks about how she lived paycheck to paycheck back when she first got started, and how she had to literally go knocking door to door to find people who she could do free work for just to get some exposure and just to get some portfolio and resume experience. You see, Emily came from an interior design background, and after a while, she got bored with that and she wanted to change. She talks about this in the interview, and she talks about how that change from interiors to fashion did not come easily. There were a lot of tears, there were a lot of no's, and there were a lot of moments where she felt like she wanted to give up. But Perseverance is this woman's middle name, and she kept going. She, like I said, knocked on doors. She didn't take no for an answer. She got her first few small gigs. She did an exceptional job for those customers, and she bent over backwards to make sure that they were happy and make sure that they were absolutely pleased with her service. Over time, that grew to her finally doing runway shows and styling and coordinating and event planning for New York Fashion Week. Now, I also want to let you in on another interesting fact about Emily. She lives in a small town in Georgia. It is not a fashion hub, but she has managed to make this career work. Yes, she travels, but she does everything from this non-fashion hub, and she has this amazing career in fashion, working at New York Fashion Week. I point this out, and we talk about it a little bit in the interview, but I point this out because she's not the first guest that I've had on the podcast that shares about how she's making a living while not living in New York and not living in L.A., And you guys, I say this over and over because you can do this anywhere. So take the inspiration, take the advice, take the perseverance that you're going to hear from Emily and get out there and get started. I know you're going to love this episode. It is tremendously inspiring. Emily is a very passionate woman and she really, really pulls back the curtain and shares everything, all of the unfiltered truth. Thank you so much, Emily, for the great interview. And thank you so much to all of you listening out there. I'll remind you that if you enjoy this podcast, make sure to subscribe in iTunes and leave a review like listener Allison, who had this to say about the SFD podcast. I have listened to every episode so far, and I love the honest look at what working in fashion is really like. It is also inspiring to hear the guests' career journeys and hear their perspectives on the industry. There is so much great advice and applicable information in each episode, And even in the episodes that I thought wouldn't be as relevant to me, I have learned something from them. Thank you so much, Allison. I really appreciate it, and I'm so glad you found everything so useful, especially the episodes that you didn't think were very relevant. So I'll remind you that if you too love listening, I'd be so grateful to hear from you in an iTunes review. You can do that anytime at sfdnetwork.com slash review, or if you're on iTunes right now, just scroll down and tap the button to leave the review. I'd love to give you a shout out here on the air like I did for Allison. As always, you can access the show notes. Just scroll down wherever you're listening. And now let's jump into the interview with Emily. Uh, Welcome, Emily, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Um, Can you please start out by introducing yourself and letting everybody know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Absolutely. Hey, Heidi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of your podcast today. I am Emily Burton. I am an event planner, stylist, and designer. And I eat, sleep, and breathe everything design. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that is a lot of titles and a lot of hats. So can you, like, take us back a little bit to the beginning of when you first got started in the industry and what that looked like and a quick overview of kind of how you got to where you are now and, and what you're doing. 
Okay. Um, well, that's a great question. Actually, I started out um, and I majored in interior design. I did that for 13 years, a little back history. Um, I always have loved design. Worked in Atlanta, specialized in commercial and residential, and the economy crashed. So I ended up losing my job, met my wonderful husband. We moved and I took a job that I absolutely hated. I wasn't passionate about, but you had to pay the bills, right? Yeah. So I ended up selling a product I didn't like. Um, every day I would come home, my husband was like, you're not happy. What do you want to do? And I said, I need to design. That is my identification. It's who I am. So I had this vision in my head. I wanted to just open up my own company, take a risk. I quit my job and I started designing events. The only way I can explain it is I kind of fell in love with the Jennifer Lopez wedding planner, but not a wedding planner, event planner movie and um, incorporated design behind that. I always tell my clients, I'm, I'm your interior designer for your event. Um and so that's really how I got started. And um, part of initially what inspired me was fashion and how fashion and the event industry is really a happy marriage. Um, they influence each other and um, you can really pull in you know, a lot of vibes from the fashion industry into events, and they just really work hand in hand. Yeah. And so you do a lot of work with Fashion Week now in terms of planning and coordinating fashion shows. I do. Um, there are three major steps to that, but yes, um, plan, design, and style. And I know those are very confusing. And as you said <laughs> earlier, it's a lot of hats to wear. So I'd like to break that down. Yeah, please. Do. Um, so planning and coordination really happen way before a fashion show even begins. Um, when I receive, you know, a contract or start working with um, a company, we are developing a design, we are contracting out vendors that can execute our vision within a certain budget. Um, we are developing a theme and a color palette based on the designers that are booked that are showing in the show. And we, we're looking at aerial layouts. We're designing the set, the runway, what that's going to look like. And we're getting everything set up um, in order for the production part to run smoothly. So it's really a lot of back-end legwork, things that you don't see when you're at the show, but the things that are, other than the clothing going down the runway, the most important for it to function properly and for the designers to be able to showcase their designs in a way that will um, sell their clothing to the guest. Yeah. So, okay, so that's the planning stage. And, and rewinding a little bit, can you talk a little bit about how, because you went from interior design to for 13 years to a job selling a product you weren't into that you just did not like, you quit your job, started this event planning business, and now here you are planning and coordinating fashion shows for fashion week. Like, how did that all come about? Like, where did you even you know, did you just trip over your first client that happened to be a fashion designer and you were able to do some event coordination for them? I mean, because I think to some people, this can sound like a dream job behind the scenes right. of Fashion Week, but like, how'd you really get there? How did we, how did I connect the dots? Yeah, um, from interior design. That's a great design. question. Yeah. That's a great question. Well, you know, first of all, if you're truly a designer that goes and crosses over so many platforms, you know, if you have an eye and you have a vision, um, it works in a lot of different areas. And really the way that I feel like I got started or the seed that was planted, um, if you will, my mother majored in fashion design and she never got to do anything with her fashion major because she had 
baby so soon, me and my <laughs> sister. And I've always been intrigued. And as a little girl, I was I would always like rearrange my room or if I had outgrown an outfit, I would turning it turn it into something new and I would run downstairs and show my parents. And I swear to you, like two weeks from then it would be on the market. But one to cross over and answer that from another angle. Um, so the seed was planted early on as far as fashion, but early on when I opened up my business, I ended up working for one of my clients was actually a sales rep for Nicole Miller. Mm. And she came to me and she did not have, you know, any idea what kind of color palette or theme that she wanted to go with. And so um, we really did a spin on Nicole Miller's style. And so um, it just kind of trickled and had a domino effect from there. Um, Locally, I ended up getting hired to design the bridal show for the Golden Isles. And we did um, a beautiful fashion show that showcased designers from around the world in a couple of different local, uh, you know, shops um, and festering relationships, um, you know, through the years and showing people what you can do and that you are interested. And a lot of times it's just putting yourself out there and telling people to give you a chance ends up turning into something beautiful as far as getting asked to be a part of New York Fashion Week. So I think the combination of the seed being planted, my love for design and fashion, and having the opportunity to work with clientele in the fashion industry, you know, set me apart and gave me the opportunity to work for New York Fashion Week um, and other fashion shows. Wow. Okay. So it really like started with like one relationship from someone who worked at Nicole Miller and then like that led to something else, led to something else. And the next thing you know, you're doing the behind the scenes planning and design and styling for New York Fashion Week shows. Yes, um, absolutely. That and just, you know, a lot of times as creatives in the industry, I'm sure you can appreciate this. Um, You know, it's important to when you have a vision and you don't have a lot going on, creating your vision, putting it out there. So in our down season, if you will, I would go door to door to a lot of design shops that I loved on a local basis and say, hey, you know, I would really love to style your clothing on a model and put together a mini photo shoot. And they were very willing because obviously it's free advertising for them. So between receiving clients on the event side and putting myself out there and doing uh, something pro bono and giving back to our local boutiques and uh, local designers in the area. For example, Tibby is local to our area. You know, that just really helped set me apart. And I think allowed people in New York to say, hey, you know, she's good at what she does. Let's give her a chance. And I've just appreciated the opportunity. Wait, I love this so much. You... Uh, Okay, so you, where did you get the models and the photographers? Because then you're doing this pro bono, which I think is brilliant and amazing and takes a lot of guts to go out there and like cold call, basically, like you're knocking, you're literally pounding the Yes, knocking on doors. Which I love. Like, I literally love this. And a few other people have said that they've done something similar to this. But I think that takes a lot of guts. And, but then it's like helps you build your portfolio and it just builds these relationships. But how did, where did you find a model and photographer to actually make that happen? You know, really, it's just about developing a relationship with local people, developing a trust. And when you can develop a trust and they know whatever you style, you're going to give 150% and you're going to be able to deliver adequate work 
that matches the brand that you're styling for, people people want to work with you. Mm. It's hard to turn down free marketing material. That's <laughs> what it is. I mean, free to them, not for me. There were a lot of times, especially early in my career, that... I mean, I was living paycheck to paycheck. You know, yeah. people people only see the smoke and mirrors from yes. social media. And it's not that I'm not against the glamorous parts of the fashion industry, but I think we need to be real. I think that it's important to know that it's not all glamorous. There are parts that are glamorous, but the parts that you don't see are the hours and the fact that I would hire models mm. and pay vendors out of my pocket when I really didn't have the money, but I knew I never wanted to communicate that they didn't have value. And mm. so I've always tried to make it a goal when I do work with somebody that I value them because I also want that to be received back to me mm-hmm. that I have value. Yeah. And, you know, I think creating that positive working relationship with your vendors in the future, they're going to want to work with you and they're not going to want to, they, they don't feel used the same way with models. Models work so hard. They have long days and, we need to make sure that we show them that we value their time and their energy and their effort. Okay. So you fronted the money to do this because you thought that it was a good investment to build experience and build relationships. And, and then how did that turn into the next thing? I would start getting contracts from local people to ah. style mini magazines to help promote their products. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of a domino effect when one thing happens, somebody else talks and they refer you and, um, yeah, it's, it's been a wild, crazy ride. And (laughs) when I first started my company, I would have never anticipated that I would be working New York fashion week. It was a dream, but I'm very grateful yeah. And okay. And I want to get to the New York Fashion Weeks, but I, I, I want to keep talking about some of like the stuff where you just started really small. Did you have a hard time um, converting from, you know, doing these things for free and then asking for payment? Because I think what can happen a lot of times, especially in the fashion industry, you know, you commented about, you know, the models need to be appreciated and the photographer and everybody needs to be paid like we're all here we all are trying to make a living (laughs) right right but I think it can be very easy to get sort of stuck in the pro bono work cycle especially if you start out that way and I'm not I, I totally applaud what you did but I think it can be hard to break out of that where now you've worked with these designers and you've almost set this expectation did you have trouble then converting them into paid clients I'm not going to lie. With some yes and some no, um, there is a balance. Uh, You definitely have to do it in a strategic way, you know, and one of the ways that I would recommend is if anybody's going to do pro bono work, it's important that you put the value of what you actually gave them on a piece of paper so Mm -hmm. they can see this is the amount of time that I spent on this project, and this is what I would have charged mm. you because that seems more tangible. Brilliant. And so yeah. that really helped them to be able to see, okay, for future, she's she's basically in a nice way communicating in the future, this is what the fee would be, but for now it's complimentary so we can each build our portfolio. So I feel like that was much better received at the same time. You know, I do still think depending on certain scenarios um, and again, getting your foot in the door, I don't think that you can disclude doing pro bono work. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, um, I think that you have to, as an entrepreneur or a designer, whatever your title is, set a cap each year and say, I'm not going to do over X amount of dollars in pro bono work because what I have learned personally is 
if you do over a certain amount, you can restart, you can start resenting yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good place to be. Um, You know, again, because it's important for all of us to communicate or for me to communicate positivity and value. And I would be doing myself an injustice and quite the opposite if I didn't set a cap and say, okay, this year I'm only going to allow X in pro bono work. And after that, I'm going to be done. Yeah. And I think the other important thing that you kind of touched on is doing it on your terms. I think it's one thing when you you pitch doing pro bono work to someone under certain circumstances and you outline what the value is and you're very clear, you know, what the sort of parameters of this are versus someone coming to you and asking for something to be done for free. It's a very different scenario. Absolutely. And one other thing, you know, that I would like to touch on regarding pro bono work, even though it's pro bono, do a simple contract. A simple contract is important. Always have a contract. It doesn't matter. You always have to protect yourself or make sure everybody's on the same page. I know social media is big, you know, tagging each vendor, especially if it's pro bono work. Mm. That is a necessity. Yeah. Um, it just is. It's a respect thing and a necessity. Okay. So then you started having, or you, I don't know if you had it from the beginning, but putting together contracts where it's like, I'm going to do this, but when you post it on social media, you need to tag that I was the stylist. Correct. Oh, I love that. So smart. So, okay, so some some of these, you know, knocking on doors, doing these small styled photo shoots, and then getting credit, and then that grew into getting contracts where you were actually getting hired and paid to do, you know, maybe larger styling gigs um, locally. And when you say locally, where is that? I am actually based out of St. Simons Island, Georgia. So I'm in Georgia, if you can't tell by my (laughs) accent, (laughs) if I didn't give it away. But I do travel all over. It's wherever my clients will hire me. Okay. Uh, We do a lot of work in L.A., New York, Miami, Chicago, California. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did it go from working with local designers to then working with LA and New York and Chicago and New York Fashion Week? Like, where did that big jump happen? You know, even though we live in such a big world, I think we all really know how small it is and how, (laughs) you know, your neighbor down the street is best friends with the president or the CEO of a company. Mm. And You've done them a good job, and they put your name out there, and you just get a chance. Yeah. Um, I think you reap what you sow. I think that you do hard work, and you do a good business, and you treat people uh, well. I think that, you know, it comes back to you, and you have the opportunity to live out your dreams and, and to do things um, that you've been wanting to do. And, uh, you know, I think it's a combination of filling up your pipeline, if you will, and the cards falling together in a deck. um, And you have a good lineup and it just works in your favor. Uh, There's really no specific person or that made an introduction. Um other than give her a chance and you know I did I did something pro bono and it kind of was a spiral and they were like wow uh there's a difference when her her team is here there's a difference we can tell things run smoother um it's more organized so So it, it sounds like it's a lot of little things that just slowly accumulated and built and built and built from you, you know, that first afternoon when you just went out and started knocking on doors. And then and I think not taking no for an answer, you know, oh, yeah. don't take no as an answer. Think about it as in, OK, a not right now. But I'm going to try a different <laughs> angle. I'm very persistent. Um, a lot of people say, say, you know, you should be a lawyer. And I'm like, I can never be a lawyer. But um, come come at it from a different angle. I mean, 
try a different angle or a different season just because it didn't work out this season um, or with this person or this company, perhaps it just wasn't the right time or the right fit. Uh, But if you believe in yourself, you should never take no for an answer of where you want to be in your career. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in if if you're really doing something good and valuable and you believe in it, it is your duty to like push and to get it to the people that you know need it. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Um, so, so when was your first uh time styling a show at New York Fashion Week and I want to I want to like I want you to take us a little I mean, we're kind of back to the beginning of the conversation. I I first wanted to hear about, you know, your trajectory of where you got to where you are, but now I want you to take us a little bit behind the scenes of, you know, New York Fashion Week and planning and styling and designing and coordinating the show. Sure. Well, I would say sit back and buckle up because it's a wild (laughs) and crazy ride for sure. Um, Things happen so fast. Um, Actually, this year was my first time in September. I've done two different shows with them this year. Miami was in July and then um, New York Fashion Week in September. Okay. And this is 2018. 2018. Um, And can you tell us who you were working with? What brand or is that confidential? I would prefer to keep it confidential. That's absolutely fine. This time without having permission from them. Totally fair. Um. Well, so how the process starts is, you know, and thank gosh for social media and everything that we have, because that's the wonderful thing about being able to solidify a contract and working with somebody on the West Coast. Um, We're receiving documents, aerial views of the venue, the total guest count, ordering armbands, getting them color-coded, coming up with a theme. We ended up having the show in a beautiful, it was very gothic with a lot of eclectic light fixtures um, in New York this year. And so the setting was absolutely beautiful. So if you picture this museum with all this art and eclectic light fixtures. We're designing through receiving all these documents and communicating with the designers. Basically, the first stage is you're gathering all this information and you're shoving it into a file and you're processing it. So that's the most critical part really to be able to move to step two is gathering your information coming up with a concept, solidifying your key vendors, which are a venue, your bartender. You want your (laughs) very important people, your VIPs and all of your guests super happy. And usually there's like a surprise vendor. We had um, this new ice cream company that came in. And I don't know if you're familiar with the mochi Oh, the, yeah. Okay, so it's it's kind of a new concept. If you picture a marriage between mochi and ice cream, it's this solid ice cream that doesn't melt, that tastes like ice cream. I don't even know how to describe it, but they were a main vendor this year. Um, and then all of your marketing materials. So information gathering, solidifying your vendors, your color concept design and making sure you have the runway lined up with all of the designers that are showcasing really are the key factors prior to launching the day. Um, And I I want to stop. So if you have any (laughs) questions, I know I'm pounding a lot of information all at once. Yeah, I do. Because you mentioned like there's multiple designers showing on one runway. So are you then behind the scenes working with all of them or you're working with just one? And then is there some stage changes? And like, how is this working? Sure. So every day... Usually the show happens, you know, for a week. And every day you typically have six to nine designers and that come down the runway. 
So, and the shows are broken up into segments of three. So if you have nine designers, that's three shows. Or if you have six designers, that's two shows. Mm -hmm. And I work both the front, I call it the front of the house and the back of the house. Um, The front of the house is where your VIPs come in, your um, PR, uh, publishing crew, your production, your photography. So we're communicating with them. And then the back of the house is your hair and makeup artists, your models, your uh, designers getting ready. So we're really running back and forth. Um, Of course, we have headsets on and, you know, we're communicating that way. But it's really a very organized event. Usually I, with my team, I split up and have depending on the size of the actual show, but three to five team members in the front of the house and then three to five team members in the back of the house. Okay. So we're all communicating on the same thread and making sure our our timing is according to our timeline. And a timeline is something that I build in advance that can be up to 15 pages that is really a day-by-day, minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour <laughs> timeline of who is supposed to be where, where are the chiefs supposed to be and where are the Indians supposed to be, you know, as we say. This sounds like um, the best spreadsheet in the world. <laughs> I, I'm a total spreadsheet nerd. <laughs> it, okay, it is to OCD people and then people that get really overwhelmed. You see them looking at you with four eyes and they're like, holy cow. And I'm like, listen, that's that's what you hired us for. Yeah. You just need to be here when I tell you to be here. You don't have to be yeah. anywhere else. You don't even have to look at the sheet. So um, I'm a stickler for things to, you know, start on time, especially when you're dealing with Uh, luxury garments, you're trying to sell your garments, and you have people that are there to see you, it's important that you start on time because there are so many shows going on at New York Fashion Week. A lot of people are popping in and popping out. And if you piss them off or you're not on time (laughs) or, you know, I mean, New York City, it's all about quick um, in and out and you have to make a good impression. First impressions are everything in everything that we do being an entrepreneur, you know, in the fashion world. Um, and you have that one chance and if you can't captivate on it, then you're done and they're on to the next one, you know? Yeah. But like how, so there's so many designers in each day and each week in this venue using this runway. Are you like contracted with one design? Like you must be contract. How do they all collectively come together and say, we're going to work with Emily Burton and her team to do the front of the house, the back of the house and manage all the planning and design and logistics for our show for all these, you know, 50 different designers. Right. That's a great question. So one company actually pushes out the show and houses, if you will, all of these designers. So the designers are showing for this one umbrella company. Okay. If if that makes sense. So think of an umbrella and then all of the points of an umbrella are a different designer, but they're right. still under the umbrella. Right. Okay. And so then you just work with that one umbrella company. I mean that's essentially who you're contracted with. I do, yes and no. I do essentially, but the designers can also hire me out to specifically work with them ahead of schedule. Um, you know, which is, which is great. Um, it kind of gives them a leg up on what the theme is going to be. If they need specific marketing material that is more cohesive with what we're doing for Miami swim or New York fashion week, Mm -hmm. then I know a little bit more about what's going on. So I'm not exclusive to the actual company 
that I work with for New York Fashion sure. Week. Anybody can hire me and I can work with them directly. Sure. But I mean, it's hard to like really customize and style a show just for one designer when there's six to nine designers showing in one day. Like at some point it has to just, the atmosphere and space has to... Somewhat be neutral. Be, yeah, be flexible yeah. enough to work for a variety of aesthetics. And I agree with that, but you know... Uh, that's where picking out specific music that is really going to put you in the vibe or give you the feeling that the designer's evoking at the time it's coming down the runway. It's those key elements like that that are so crucial and important Mm. that will set the tone prior to the model showing, you know, the next designer. For example, at this last show that we did, one of the designers, literally, it was so awesome. There was a famous rapper there. <laughs> but so the ra- the rapper is on the stage and the designer, as the models come down, he is literally painting the designs on their garments. Like he has a painter's... Um, I don't even know what you call it. It's terrible. The pal- a palette? Thank you. A paint okay. palette. He, okay. He's holding a paint palette. And he's literally painting on their garment. And this rapper is rapping. And so you you don't even think about the venue not changing in yeah. a sense. It changes every time the designer, a different designer comes out because of the impact that the music has or the way that the models are interacting on stage, you know, the designers or the stylist communicate to the models. This is how the garment should feel. This is, you should be smiling. You shouldn't be smiling. Mm-hmm. You need to be walking sassy or you need to be walking with a very pristine uh, Parisian vibe. There was a Parisian, um, designer there that was showing some of her garments and you know again she had very like parisian influenced music and all of her designers had parisian tea hats on and um you pictured yourself walking through the streets of paris sipping on tea Mm. i'm not even a tea person but i I felt (laughs) like i was crossing my leg and my finger was up and i wasn't even sitting down i was running all over the place but i still you know it just puts you there yeah and so then you'll work with either the whole production company or an individual designer to create that experience whether it's the music and what other types of elements or people or interaction might we have going on on the runway, like all of those little pieces and parts you could work on. I do. And I just sum it up and call it storytelling. Yeah. You know, in a good way. Yeah. (laughs) Storytelling in a good way. That's, that's what you do when you have a vision and you are a designer and a stylist, whether it's tweaking the hair here or, making the makeup a little bit more eccentric to go with, you know, the designs um, or creating some custom music um, and having a local opera singer come in. Something that's going to tell the story of the designer's clothing that they've designed to the best of its ability and sell it before it even gets off the runway is the end goal. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the sales? I, and and I don't know if this is the best question for you per se, but you've mentioned it a couple times. Um, so if you if you have any light to shed on it, that would be great. But I think it's an interesting um, time that we're in now, where there's a lot of discussion over how Fashion Week has changed from. It used to be where buyers would come, and it was specifically to you know sell and get orders. And now it 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 seems to have in most cases turned into more of just a air quotes, you know, show and entertainment. Um, But it sounds like you're still seeing or at least the goal of the designers is still to get those orders written. Is that really happening? It it does really happen. In fact, uh, when I was in Miami in July, before I even left, we were getting or the company that I was working for, they were getting DMs of via their Instagram with clients wanting to purchase in bulk. Oh, that's great. So it, you know, that is still 
definitely a real scenario that goes on. And obviously that is an end goal. I, I don't think that it happens as much as it used to just because of the way that things have changed, mm-hmm. but it certainly still does happen. That's, that's really good to hear. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty refreshing. Um, okay. So, so you start out with the initial planning and are you like, are, are the, is a designer sending you photos of the designs and sketches and like, what is your sort of sneak peek into the design process and working directly with the designer? Can you talk a little bit about that? I can, you know, and really it depends on what I get contracted out. But when I do work with a designer, what happens is we upload everything into a PDF. We print out all the models. We print out all the hair and makeup looks. You know, it's a very specific vision board, if you will. So everyone can wrap, the entire team can wrap their head around the direction in which we're going, what we're trying to achieve so we can all communicate effectively and see the end goal product. Mm -hmm. Um, So essentially, it's like a big Pinterest board. So when all the vendors come in from hair and makeup to nail artists, if there is one, depending on the actual designer um, and an accessory line, You know, we know exactly what's going on. Then we actually dissect it into a notebook where each model has a section. And for each look, she knows exactly what she's wearing, Mm -hmm. what she, you know, what she's going to look like. And so do the designers and so does the production team. Gotcha. So it's a very organized method to the madness, if you will. Gotcha. And so, and just depending on your role within the project, you may be doing more of the initial inspiration of that, or you may be doing more of the execution, or it just depends. Correct. Or all of the above, you know, right. it depends on if a company and or designers are wanting to work with me on a turnkey basis versus just a partial basis. And that really depends on their budgets and their needs. And we really try to provide whatever service each of our clients need at the time. Okay, gotcha. And the people that you work with on your team, are they local in Georgia? Or like, where are you finding these amazing people? Because you can't just throw anyone into that situation <laughs> and hope they perform. No, you can't. <laughs> that is a good point. It's like throwing people to the wolves for sure. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I have a team of people and I also have developed a team in various parts that I work in. Okay that they're my right hand man, if you will, they know exactly the expectations that I expect. And you know, what's required in the fashion industry, especially when we're working with certain companies, certain companies require different things and certain designers like and dislike different things. And it's really, again, about learning your clients and customizing your services for them and when you develop such a great relationship they trust you you trust them and it becomes a great partnership and they want to use you on a regular basis because you know they just feel like they can show up and focus where they need to focus and know that we're going to handle the rest yeah I love that. And I, you know, in, in a lot of the content that I've created in terms of getting ahead in this industry, whether that's in a career or as a startup designer or as a freelancer, you know, a job, whatever it may be, doing an exceptional job and going above and beyond goes so far because at the end of the day, whether it's your boss in a in a company or the designer that you're contracting out, you know, styling for your fashion show to – they need the peace of mind of giving you the task and trusting and knowing that it's going to get done and it's going to get done well. And like that alone is so valuable. I agree. It really is. Yeah. And, And, you know, I think, I think that's what sets people apart is you can complete the job, but why should you just complete it when you're competing with all these other people when you can give the extra 50% yeah. to take it up a couple of notches to set yourself apart. And that's what I've always tried to do. Yeah. 
I can you know, tell. I call it the Ritz Carlton mentality. I mean, I they that. know they know your name when you when when you walk through the door. They know your name. They address you by who you are. They call you out by your name, and the same when you exit. And that's how it should be. Yeah, I love that Ritz Carlton mindset. That's brilliant. Um, clearly, it's worked very very well for you. Um, can you talk a little bit about? I mean, you're in Georgia, and I think a lot of people can feel like, well, I'm not in New York, or I'm not in L.A., or I'm in this, you know, air quotes. I mean, I'm in, I'm, I'm in air quotes, dinky Denver, Colorado, right? You know, <laughs> right. it's hardly a fashion hub, but I think you can have success, and you can make it from anywhere, and it's up to you to figure out ways to make it happen. And so you obviously started with local brands or brands that just happen to be located where you are. And um, I'd be curious to just hear some of your thoughts on, you know, building this company and building your career, even though you don't live in a fashion hub and that you can do this from anywhere and that you can find opportunities for fashion anywhere. Even before you went to New York Fashion Week, you created opportunities for yourself in Georgia. Right. Like I was saying earlier, never say never. If you are so passionate about something and you're not sure how to get there, ask questions, mm. knock on doors, connect with people, talk to people, find out what they do, who they are, how they got to where they are. But never say no. You know, I've, I've seen... When I first got into business, I had all these like huge dreams. And sometimes I would sit back and just laugh because I'm like, wow. I mean, I, you know, I'm like barely five foot on a good day. That is <laughs> such a big dream for a little person that is from Georgia and has a heavy accent. How will I be reciprocated? I got to the point where, you know, I didn't care I just made a beeline for what I wanted. I stayed focused. And I would tell that to other people is stay focused. Don't question the how. Just plant the seed and do the work and continue to dream and fester the relationships. And when you get a no, take it as a not right now. And, oh, that means another angle. And go at it from another angle and be persistent until your dreams become a reality and you live the life that you want to live and live your best life. You only get one chance. Yeah. There's no sense in never trying and then questioning and or later in life resenting yourself because you didn't try or you didn't give it a chance. Yeah, I love the sort of and and you mentioned this earlier, but the the reframe of, you know, it's not no, it means not right now. So, can you give us an example or two of a time when you got a no and then you took that as a not right now and you repositioned it and went back and figured out how to turn that into a yes? Wow. Um, I'm like, where do I start? <laughs> I feel like I've been given so many no's. Um, yes, actually, I think the one that stands out so much for me, and I hope maybe a lot of other people can relate. I'm not from the St. Simons Island area. Area I live, like I said, in Atlanta, but I'm from a small town named Alma, Georgia. Uh, we barely had 112 people that I graduated with. Just to tell you the dynamic of the <laughs> entire city, um, it's very small. We have two traffic lights. I think we just got another one. But wait, this is where you live right now? No, this um, is where you grew that's up. where I was originally from. Yes, okay. and then okay. I, I I moved to Atlanta. I live in St. Simons now, but I would say, you know. When I moved to the area that I live now, St. Simons, I was not well received. I was the new girl on the block. I didn't really know, honestly, what to do with that other other than knocking on doors and 
doing pro bono work to show people, hey, I'm here to stay. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. You yeah. know, I'm in, I want to invest in the community. And I really did not get good initial feedback. Um, That's hard. I've, it was very, it was very hard. It was very hard. I, I, I tell my husband, um, I think I cried for the first six months because I was, I was like, say, yeah, you know, I mean, it hurt. I felt like the little high school girl that was sitting in the corner that nobody wanted to be friends with. And that's the honest truth. I think you can uh. all, you can relate when you think back to high school, either you were that girl or you remember wanting to be, to friend the girl that got left out I was the one that friended the girl that got left out because it broke my heart so much and I just thought after you graduated and you went to college you know that you left that in the past but I felt like I tasted it again when I moved here and Mm -hmm. I just I didn't know what to do I, I felt really brokenhearted and I tried to just talk to myself and say, you know what, I'm not going to let this discourage me. Let me constantly just be nice. And you know what, if people don't want to work with me here, I'm just going to work all over the United States and go international. (laughs) And it'll make them think that little Georgia girl with the heavy accent, she was so sweet and we should have given her a chance because she's just working all over the place. Yeah. Um, And that was my goal. And I just... Even though it hurt so bad, instead of letting it be a crutch and destroy me, I tried to let it be fuel to my fire and let it just burn the passion of me doing what I call bigger things. And so I ended up like my first, I guess, big thing outside of St. Simon's, I uh, went to this event design competition and there were 55 people all over the United States. And I ended up winning. And that was just like, you know, it, I didn't I didn't want to be a snob or a snoot about it. But I just wanted to be like, the only way I can picture it is like Jane in the jungle screaming. <laughs> you know, I don't know how else to say it. Like, like hear me roar. Like, I... I am great at what I do, and I think there's a difference in being a snob and a snoot about your career or being confident and know the level of service that you provide and knowing that it's your passion and you love what you do. There's a difference, and I just wanted them to see that difference. Yeah. So, I mean— I I think it's so it can be so easy to like I mean you said you cried a lot for the first six months and you just nobody you you felt like you're back in high school or middle school which feels like yeah didn't we outgrow this aren't we all adults but it that doesn't always happen um no and it's so easy to give up during that stage but you just kept going and you you just kept knocking on different doors and until you got a yes I mean it sounds like that's really what it was just the perseverance. I would say so. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There were definitely times where I felt so devastated, um, the wind knocked out of my cells, if you will, that I questioned, should I still pursue this career? Mm. And then... I would have to take a moment and say, yes, I'm not going to allow someone to steal my joy. This is my joy and I'm in control of my direction and my path and they're just jealous because I'm confident and I'm successful and I'm passionate about what I'm doing and, you know, being in business for over nine years, I still think as an entrepreneur, it's something that you you have a fluctuating struggle with. Sometimes it's greater. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not as great. I think it depends on the season in which you go through mm-hmm. uh, owning a business. And 
I think that you have to, it's important that you make time for yourself mentally and emotionally, you know, and, you know, whatever means necessary. I do a lot of uh, self-affirmation meditations and praying. I, I always take time in the morning to do that, to get my mind focused and right. And that really helps. And also just, you know, balancing your life. If you always work, I'm a sucker for working. That's, that's my drug of choice. It Mine is. too. <laughs> I mean, I will admit, but what I have found out is I can't be, and I'm sure you'll agree, Heidi, I can't be the best me to my clients and to myself until I have time to myself so I can nurture my emotions and my health physically, mentally, and emotionally. Mm -hmm. It's huge. It is. Yeah. And so it's just a huge avenue that I, I call Mondays my me days for that reason. I take Monday all day because usually I've worked all weekend, Mm. you know, whether I, go to the park and sit on the bench and read a book or go to the spa. Usually here it's so hot majority of the time. I'm usually going to the spa where it's AC. (laughs) Um, But really, you know, don't feel guilty as an entrepreneur for having time, a solid time to yourself. Yeah. And being very strategic about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, the self care is super, super important. And it's it's easy to get burnt out, and I know I know people who have genuinely landed themselves in the hospital from burnout, um, like very serious situations. Mm-hmm. So it is it is critical, and um, you know I think sometimes stepping away from your work is when you can free up the mental space to then come back and do an even ten times better job. Oh my gosh, I I agree with you, and. I just want to interject because I think that's so important. You just like kind of hit a nail on the head. I think sometimes you have to step away and I call it a social media detox, whatever you want to call it, because you're so engulfed in your business on the inside of your business that sometimes as an entrepreneur, you have to get outside of your company to look at it from a different perspective in order to make necessary and better changes. And the only way you can do that is to take a break, give yourself a break, you know, and to forgive yourself for that. You know, I think we're so hard on ourselves. You have to give yourself time to take a break and to not feel guilty about it. You know, there's this like crutch of, I don't know, for some reason, entrepreneurs are supposed to work all the time and, not work in their pajamas, take a break. I <laughs> work in my pajamas half the time. and I'm wearing slippers de- right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm barefoot. I'm barefoot. and uh. um, I'm curious to know, um, I mean, you, so is it about nine years since you were, like, if we rewind to when you were first pounding the pavement, knocking on all those doors, it's been about nine years since then? Yes, okay. it has. So mm-hmm. you've you've had tremendous growth, um, but I also don't want to discount the amount of time that goes into some of that because it's not like last year you were knocking on the doors of Georgia businesses and then this year you're at New York Fashion Week. Like these t- things do take time. Um, and I think it can be, if you've ever heard of the iceberg effect, it can be easy to only see what's on the top of the water. You don't see all the stuff that had to be built underneath to create that pinnacle above water. Right, correct. Um, but but my my actual question around why I bring this up is, you know, now that you've come so far in your career and you've had this amazing trajectory and success, looking back on when you first got started, because there's a lot of people out there listening who are in the very early stages um, who are just trying to get started. And whether that's to be a stylist or to be a designer or if it's freelancing or if it's starting their own brand. But, you know, in the vein of going and knocking on all those doors and getting no, getting no, getting no for six months, if not longer, if you could go back and do that again now with the knowledge you have today, 
Would you have done anything differently? And if so, what? No, I, oh. I wouldn't have done anything differently. I feel like wow. the path that I've traveled thus far has molded my character, my morals, and has gotten me to the place that I am today. Yeah. And as hard as some of, you know, the steps that I took were, it's it's only made me a better person and it's made me possibly look at things from a different angle, somebody else's angle that perhaps I wouldn't have looked at it before. Uh-huh. Um, so, no, I can't say that I would do anything differently. Okay. Um, I, I love that, actually. Other than maybe talk to more people and knock on more do doors at an earlier <laughs> point in my career. Okay. Um, you know, I just, my dad always told me growing up, <laughs> and I, I didn't implement this until later in life, but he said, you should start a Rolodex. This is when, if if people know what Rolodex <laughs> are, so, I mean, those are like so old, the flip, like index card that you put on your desk. Yeah. I mean, clearly uh, it's so ancient now, but he said, you should start a Rolodex and you should write every person's name down that obviously is what cell phones are for now and Instagram, but, um, and you should connect and remember how you met them and who they're connected to and write down at least three people that they know. And, you know, so I would have connected with more people, but hindsight's 20. I, I wouldn't change anything that I've done. I, I'm appreciative of the hard steps that I've taken. Mm -hmm. um, they definitely have not been easy. And I think that's the misconception about being an entrepreneur is, you know, a lot of times people see us running around or having fun on Instagram, but they don't see that, oh, by the way, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning. I've been puking my brains out because I've been sick and I have to work an event and I'm chugging ginger ale, mm. um, driving two hours to work a fashion show, yeah. hoping I'll keep everything down. They don't see that. They only see the beautiful Instagram picture mm -hmm. or, you know, the pretty Facebook picture or whatever. So I've been really trying the different thing that I've been trying to do moving forward is to just be real and to share not the negative, I wouldn't call it negative, just the real aspects of what owning a business and being an entrepreneur is. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's the hardest and most rewarding thing that I've ever done. And I wouldn't trade anything yeah. for it. I love that. I love that so much. And thank you for being so real and authentic and genuine and really like, you know, one one of the main things I like to try to get guests to open up here on the show is like, take us behind the curtain. I don't care if it's messy, like this, is what, <laughs> right. right? But this is what people want to talk about. And this is what people want to hear. And um, I appreciate your candor and, and um, willingness to just open up and share some of those hard things because it like what's the point in us just going out and painting a, a beautiful picture that's not realistic it sets everyone up for failure it and sure there's does. no point yeah so thank you for that I do appreciate it oh you're so welcome um, I would love to end with the question I ask everybody at the end of the interview and that is what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they would well, two things is how many hours I work, how many hours people work. I mean, again, you see the glamorous stuff, how many hours you work. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. You know, for example, 11 a.m. to 1 a.m. for five days straight. Oh, my gosh. That's 14 hours a day. 14 hours and yeah. you snack. You don't you don't even actually have a solid meal. So yeah. that's hard. Probably a lot of uh, questions that I get, too, is, oh, my gosh, do people pick out your wardrobe for you for each day? And I'm like, no, I do. I dress myself. <laughs> <laughs> I dress myself. I style myself. I put together a collection of stories for myself 
that matches kind of the theme of whatever show we're doing. Mm. So that's kind of a glimpse into if you wanted a sneak peek at the show, you could kind of look at what I'm wearing for all for the entire week and be like, oh, okay, it's going in that direction. So interesting. I would say those I would say those two things. Wait, the outfit um, thing is so interesting to me. I I guess I picture you guys all just wearing black and like wearing headsets and just kind of trying to like blend in to not be seen. I now I don't my team does, but I'm just very passionate about fashion and since I do work a lot with VIPs coming in um you know, some celebrity clientele, I think it's important to represent what show they're here for and Mm -hmm. to give them a sneak peek. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a trademark of what I do personally. It's not everybody in the industry. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. That's a fun sort of visual. Um, it's like all all the people dressed in black and then Emily. <laughs> it, it is fun. I would say that's probably one of the funnest things. But then it's like, oh, my gosh, your feet are killing you. And I have a pair of Steve Madden tennis shoes hidden under the bleachers or where the um, photographers usually sit. Yeah. And when everybody has more than one cocktail, I pull them out and I'm like, my feet are killing me. You are going to just have to excuse me, but the comfortable shoes are coming on. <laughs> at that point, there are one or two drinks in. They're not even going to notice. They, they don't even care. <laughs> and at that point, honestly, they're like, girl, where are you from? What accent is that? Is that Texas? Uh. <laughs> is that, you know, so it's kind of funny. So yeah. People really just want to listen to me talk to whenever they get there. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I should start charging people. I'm just kidding. Oh, that's so funny. That's hysterical. <laughs> that is hysterical. Um, where can everybody find out more about what you do and connect with you online? Oh, I would love that. So my Instagram is Emily Burton Designs. I would love to connect with you. And my Twitter handle is the Emily Burton. Okay. My website is Emily Burton Designs, which is currently under, it's going under construction and we're totally rebranding. It's ancient, but again, that's one of the entrepreneur things that we're so busy doing everything. You have to take it step by step. So just know that that's under construction. Okay. Well, by the time this goes live, it might it might be live. Um, so because uh, we're talking in October, and I think this is going to go out in March. So Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Well, you're awesome. And I, I really just appreciate the fact that you just allow speakers to be organic, and that is what you believe in, and that you just let us be ourselves. I've just really enjoyed being on and connecting with you. Awesome. Same here. I really, I think, you know, talking about the real stuff is is where the fun's really at. So I appreciate that. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Emily. Thank you so much, Heidi. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Emily, for the amazing interview. And of course, as always, thank you so much to my husband, Mark, who handles all of the tech and editing and makes the show possible. And as well to my right-hand SFD team member, Saya, who makes sure that each episode gets published and delivered to you on time each and every week. And thank you so much for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you out there. As always, I'll remind you, if you enjoy the show, please take 30 seconds and leave us a review on iTunes. You can do that by scrolling down where you're listening right now, or you can be redirected to the iTunes review page at sfdnetwork.com review. And always, if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes by scrolling down wherever you're listening. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.